Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Fun day. Fun day. So dumb. I love it, though. I think so that's dumb. why it's appealing, because it's so dumb. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about you. All right, this is the podcast Let's Talk About Sets with Harrison Tweed and Jeff McBride. Hello. Hey, uh, let's start listening to Maria Bamford's opener on Conan O'Brien in 1999, and this was picked by our guest, Drew Morgan. Hey, um, my name is Maria, and um, I'm originally from Duluth, Minnesota. Duluth in the house, oh yeah! <laughs> my, uh, my mother told me uh, before I went to my first girl-boy party in the eighth grade, she said, Maria, remember what we talked about? Gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, one, two, watch the cold sores. Date rape is a lot more common than people think. You look so gorgeous. You were conceived in Groton, Connecticut in one night in a campsite. I am not saying you weren't planned. I'm just saying Bamford's get pregnant like falling off logs. Oh, Jenny's mom's here to pick you up. Will he have a good time? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, all right. Um... So let's talk about it for a second. What? Why? Why'd you pick that bit, Drew? As anyone who's a fan of Maria Bamford or has seen her at all knows, she's a very specific person. And I wanted to talk about openers because I think they're a very special kind of joke. And the joke there is a story about her mom, mm-hmm. but she doesn't open by saying my first boy girl party. She mm-hmm. could have. She could have walked out there and been like, "So I remember my first boy girl party," but she's like. No, I, I feel like that joke, the part about the with her mom and the act out with her mom, she'd been doing that in the middle of her set for a while or whatever. And it's like, how do you do that at the beginning? So she's like, I got to walk out and say hi. But she says hi in that very specific way. And she's like, what's up, Duluth in the house? And it's so weird and funny. And here's what you get. You get a few things with that first initial thing. This person is weird. This person is going to do a bunch of voices and characters. And she is from the Midwest. And then you couple that with that really quick story. There's so much in that story. There's so much in there. Uh, she's got issues with her mom. Her mom was very Midwestern and polite. Have a good time, dear, but also super weird and said weird shit to her. So in a minute, is that how long it is? That's a, yeah, it's, it's less a minute. Than, it's, it's like, I think it went from, it's less than a minute, yeah. You know how weird she is. You know she's going to do a lot of characters. You know she's from the Midwest. You know she has a Midwest mother who was super polite, but also super weird. You get all that in a minute. It's fucking and you, brilliant. And you get the laugh. And that's my favorite thing, too, about it. What's up, the loose in the house? I remember a time in my life as a young comic where I'd be like, what a hack thing to do. Just like say that in a funny way. Boo, so easy. First of all, it's not. It's not fucking easy to open with something goofy like that and yeah. people immediately like you and think it's funny. That's hard to do. Because they can turn, because real quick, they can turn. Exactly. Like that, if you, you Duluth in the house, they can just cross their arms and go, oh, really? Right. But what she was clearly doing, and I know you guys can't see it if you're listening at home. Maria, part of this with her, and I almost didn't pick it because of this. She's so physical and goofy. When you see her do that here, you know she's not being braggadocious, that she's being ironic, which is another thing you get. She's very ironic. She's very absurd. 
So she's established all of that. In 40 seconds, she's established, I'm weird, I'm absurd, I do goofy things, uh, I don't mean any of this for the most part. I'm from the Midwest, my mom is very polite, but she's also super weird. That's incredible. Yeah. You've got First all of that. I love, I love that laughing. analysis. I love that analysis because that's a lot of nuance to pick up at once that I think is um, it's subconscious for almost anybody who's yeah. not doing this. Right. It like lets people into the door of your personality because it's While like and showing them every room and doing it in forty seconds. Totally. And you know what? If that hadn't hit, like, say she does that at a like a club or a show, and it doesn't. She talks hit, about that. Go it's ahead. oh oh. She does like right after. No no no. Not in the bit. <clears throat> like she talks about how when she first started getting some heat, she'd go out to a club. Actually, she does have a bit about this, but yeah. this was later in her career about people just come to the club who didn't know her. It's like Friday. You go to a comedy club, right? Yeah. And then they didn't know who Maria Bamford was. And yeah. she's a very specific. Oh, yeah. If you go out for, I want to see some comedy tonight, right. and you come out and you see Maria Bamford, who she's pushing it. Right. She's pushing the bounds a little bit. Well, she's like singular. She's, she's like them. so transcendent because she's yeah. not doing anything that's atypical of a comedian. She's no. just anyone that who's fucking like funny. Maria Bamford came after her. <clears throat> and then that's fine. I mean, everyone should be inspired by somebody. But yeah, she was. Uh, very much herself. So I just think, I think that the most important thing in an opener is to be funny quickly because I think you have about, it depends on where you're at, but we'll say in New York, in a New York club, you have about 30 seconds. That's it. I mean, and I've seen people not get them in 30 seconds and bring them back, but it's because they were interesting. You know what I mean? And and you don't want to, you don't want to go for interesting and then just hope you can be funny later. So you, you don't have a lot of time to be funny. So, it's a great opener because it's funny off the bat. She gets right into that character flawlessly, and that character is killing. I mean, and I don't care who you are. You love that. Like, I don't care if you're not into weird comedy. You're into someone making fun of their weird mom's accent, you know, if it's done well and it's done expertly there. So I love that bit because it is so funny, but also, and this is what makes it the next level to me, we know exactly who Maria Bamford is. That's 1999. And Everyone that's, at this table knows who she is. In that audience, a lot of people probably didn't know right. who she was in 1999. And, and she walks on stage and does that. We know who she is. So to your point, why that's important is that um, if you can establish your character quickly, then you end up with this like backdrop you can hit the balls off of over exactly. and over and over again. And uh, people who can establish their character don't have to continually, to use another metaphor, set the pins up over and over and over again to knock them down. And that's why some of the most famous people, sometimes you, you almost go like, oh, man, it seems so easy. Well, obviously that's work, and obviously it's skill. But also it's that everyone knows who Bill Burr is. When you sit down and watch his special, like it's funny to people who don't know who he is. <clears throat> but for the most part, like he's he's acting as if you know where he's coming from. That's because most people do. And that's uh something that I've run into on my tour now that people know who we are a little bit, and it's it's really like hitting off a tee. Yeah. Well, that's one of the weird things I wanted to talk to you about is like what is it like to go from going and they're literally, I, I mean, we went to your Gotham show and all the comics, so it was like me and Lejeski and Rafat and all of them. We were. So that, let me let me interrupt here because yeah. I want to intro Drew. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah, we should probably yeah, do that. All right, yeah, all right. But don't uh, stop. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so hold that, hold that. All right. So uh, this is our guest, Drew Morgan. He is a nationally touring stand-up comic and the co-author of the best-selling political comedy book, The Liberal Redneck Manifesto. Dr- 
Dragon Dixie Out of the Dark. He's been on MTV, ABC, and he's slated to appear on The View in March. Uh, so, and, and he's also good friends with Harrison here. Yeah, we used to run a show together. We did. We did, and I helped, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I overbooked it, and you, Every week. Every week, <laughs> yep. Um, I just but, stopped booking it. I was like, whatever, dude, I'll just do time. Like, <laughs> I'm not booking anybody. That was, um, well, no, well, then we, yeah, I don't know, anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when we did that Gotham show, there was like, it was weird because I'd seen you do like that Jim Morrison bit, which is a very like strange, weird, silly bit. Yeah, it's meant, it's definitely meant for the stage. You'd probably see me see see me do it in a bar. I saw you do it at seven thirty nine bar oh. before Jared Logan came on. Yeah, and it was like the crowd was kind of like lukewarm the whole time. Wait, wait and wait, they wait. enjoyed it, but it was it's one of those things where they were looking like this is weird. And then, but then I saw you murder with it at Gotham. And then I was like, wow, they're just like, what a difference. And then after Gotham, you guys did a Q&A and an entire sold out Gotham stayed like an hour after the show and all had questions for you guys. It was such like a difference in like stand up. Like I've never seen that many people being fans of someone I've seen just mostly do shows where no one knows who the fuck any of the comics are. It's it was just crazy to me that, I, have, I have a question for you something you just said um you said that's meant for the stage you probably saw me do it at a bar yeah so what do, you, what do you mean when you say that it's theatrical and i think there's a big difference when you're on a stage at a club show specifically uh, or in a theater specifically where everyone came there to see a show and we knew we were going to see a show and we're sitting in this seat and if you heckle at a show like that at a club or a theater, like you're not, you're really not supposed to do that. If you heckle at a bar, it's like, oh, that that person's being a little rude. But this is a bar. At that show, it's like we're here to see a show, and so I expect you to put on a show. And so meeting that expectation was something that over the top because it's a big act out. It's really big. Excuse me. Uh, it's like eight minutes long. Um, <laughs> so long. The act out part's about four. Yeah, yeah. That's a long act out. So if you are pretending to be a different person in a bar for four minutes, trust me, I know it's 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 there's like there's almost a part of people. Plus the lighting's different. There's no spotlight on mm-hmm. you usually. Mm-hmm. It, everyone can see everybody. It's almost like even though they know why you're doing it subconsciously, there's a question of like, why is this person being so weird? Dude, I, I, I could that's so perfect. I, I run into this all the time uh, because for whatever reason, I'm not built to sit down and crank out one-liners. It's just not who I am. I love act outs. I love characters. I love faces. I love voices. That McDonald's I love, bit is a specific. It's, if it's getting nothing, it's oh, getting it's, like it's, it's gonna get worse. judgment. Yeah, yeah, they hate me. He does this but, McDonald's witch. Actually, yeah, yeah, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. So that like, like <laughs> it's a great it, impression. It's so fun. It's so fun. I love. I have so much fun with that shit. But dude, <laughs> most of what I do is in basements and bars, and so a lot of the time. If I were in a different scenario, like you just said, where they expect to show, they're fine with it. But if I'm doing this crazy thing, they're looking at me like I'm nuts. Right. And it depends on the bar show. I mean, I think that night at 739, it went okay. I've had it go really well in bars. And I think there, it was when it was like packed, Mm -hmm. first of all. And I think there, it's almost like appreciation of like, thank you. 
for going over the top yeah. in this terrible scenario where it's kind of awkward or whatever. But just as many times, uh, and, and I stopped doing it. As a matter of fact, a lot of my friends in the crowd that night, uh, you were probably the only comic who had ever seen that that was there. I had only seen you do it once, and it was at 7.30. And the reason I stopped doing it is, you know, it hurts to bomb. Dude, and, and a long, lonely act out is one of the most painful. So I stopped doing it because I was like, I know it works. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't, I don't need to work on it anymore. And so what's the reason for doing it, right? It, it, you know, you, you go and you do shows, you want to entertain people. Well, that's not happening with this bit. Not in this scenario. Five or seven times out of ten in a right. bar. Uh, you want to show other comics that you deserve to get on bigger shows. That's mm-hmm. not going to work unless they're really savvy and they know how, you know what I mean? Unless yeah, they've been yeah. in it for a long time. So it's like, there's no reason for me to do this joke until I get to where I want to get to. And that was one of my favorite things about the tour is being able to bring that specific bit back. I'm so, I'm so, I, I find myself so just looking forward to when I get to do that because so much of my stuff is like that. And it works in, in that one scenario. Like when I produce my own shows and it's packed with people with my mailing list who they're there to see a show and they're there to see us do this thing, it's easy. I mean, it's easy because they know me too. That's part of it. Um, I mean, half the people on my mailing list don't really know me, but like, but but it's still it's still a lot easier. But aside from that, just you're right. That expectation that you're going to put on a show, as opposed to I'm in a bar and now they're doing comedy. Now that was my closer for a long time. Now I put it in the middle of my set to sort of challenge myself to climb out of the energy, I guess. But it's funny to me. I knew it. when before we sit down here, we said, "Is there anything we want to talk about now to get out of the way?" I almost said, "Let's talk about Morrison because I know Harrison's going to bring it up." And you did immediately. Like we were supposed to talk about openers, and now we're talking about a closer. It's so funny. It's comedy. I don't know. That's a well. I but I basically I don't open with it now. But I open with religious stuff often and put it at like minute. It starts at like minute six and ends. I've shortened it ends at like minute eleven. And then I try to climb out of that. Well, that's, wanna, that's been a lot of fun. I want to. I want to get to know. A lot of fun. I want to get to know you just a little bit, and then okay. let's let's steer the boat back toward openers. Um, okay. So, uh, where'd you grow up? Sunbright, Tennessee. I grew up in a little town in East Tennessee. Um, I feel like my accent. I, I was kidding at first, and now I think it's getting thicker because I'm thinking about Tennessee. Uh, it gets thicker when you talk about like the southern sure. state you're from. Sure. Uh, I talk about Bojangles. It gets crazy it's hard to say that word with any other yeah, bojangles. <laughs> have you ever heard of yankee bojangles have you ever heard of yeah it's annoying so shut the fuck up <laughs> i'm not going to bojangles there's a wendy's no okay. exactly well no one wants to eat at bojangles <laughs> yeah, i don't want to eat at bojangles but i eat? definitely want to eat at bojangles <laughs> Bojang- yeah, yeah. <laughs> i got good chicken yeah uh I, anyway i'm from sunbright tennessee um <laughs> population 600 and uh, it's in East Tennessee. It's like an hour from Knoxville, 45 minutes from Oak Ridge, where they built the atomic bomb. Middle of nowhere. Morgan County. Easy. We, got, we got a prison and a national park. Nice. I, uh, state um, park. State I, I, park. I essentially grew up in the south of the north. I grew up in Montana. Yeah, uh, which is like there. It's super crossover. Like yeah, it's, it's sure. basically rural. It's all it is is minus the accent. It's yeah. the only thing. Yeah, it's rural. R- mm-hmm. any any state with a lot of rural people, and even places like New York. If you go to rural New York, it's very. Mm-hmm. So, matter of fact, we wanted to name our book. Uh, I don't know if I should say that the publisher's not going to listen. We wanted to name it Red State Blues, and they really wanted to go with Liberal Redneck because Trey, my co-author, one of my co-authors, uh, Corey's the other one. He had you know gained some fame oh, with that yeah, moniker. Yeah, yeah. But that book is really about rural 
America, mm-hmm. and you're right. Like any any place, like Idaho, uh, Corey calls it. They got that off the grid racism. Uh, it's, it's not <laughs> it's not coming from that main Southern power. It's uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, all the problems and the good things about those areas are very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, hardworking people, salt of the earth people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, you know, misogyny, too much religion, stuff homophobia. Like that. You guys don't. I don't know about Montana, but it feels like in the Midwest, especially, there's not as much religion as the South. Oh no! Well, first of all, Montana's not even really Midwest, really. People right, right. I know. I'm is, saying but, that's all I oh, know about. I don't know if Montana's religious. Oh, oh, um, I can't really comment on Midwest. Uh, but in terms of Mon- but Montana. Is- Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, church on every corner. Exactly. Like one of the biggest controversies when I was growing up was when those damn Mormons came and built their temple in our town. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> the Mormons. They're like, don't they know they're the wrong religion? Okay, all right, Catholics, we'll bang, we'll gang up with you on this one. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, you're Baptist, right? Uh, yes. And my were you raised is. with? I was raised evangelical Protestant, Protestant although well, that's I'm what technically I wasn't a Jew. Raised really, well, a Bab- Baptist is is an evangelical mm-hmm. Protestant yeah. religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what were you like, Church of God? Uh, went to a bunch of them, uh, but like you uh, guys dabbled. Oh, dude, we just we, we dipped the pen in. Yeah, there. we were like we were like mm, they said awful things about Jews at this one, so we're gonna go to this other one. Yeah, because my mom's a, is a Jew that converted, yeah. so it was like when we would run into stuff like that, we'd kind of be like, "I don't want to go there anymore." Your mom converted? <laughs> yeah, when I was like oh, two. Come on, uh, <laughs> come on. I mean, you got to keep that J card, dude. That's a good, yeah. <laughs> For what? Jokes. Just to, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Bits about it. I guess. Uh, so, no, actually. So I'm trying to think. In Montana, there's faith, nothing you're getting. Faith Chapel <laughs> yeah, was one. Um, First Assembly of God is another one. Church of God. That's what I figured yeah. it mostly was. I yeah. never really. Yeah. There was one with, that, that spoke in tongues. Which yeah, I was that's like, a lot. Of, that's usually Church of God. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, I forgot what the other one is. Your brother was a preacher. Is is a, is a preacher. So yeah. now he is started he a preaching. Kind of progressive preacher. Uh, I mean, for I mean, his time and place in the world, sure. We'll, oh, call that. <laughs> well, he's like pretty like. Dude, my my dad started preaching when I was like 13 or 14. Uh, and the truth is, he like he was like a biker and he and he like he like worked for the railroad and he like was an alcoholic and he's recovered now. Like before all that, you know, he found it. Do you know what I mean? He like came to god and religion so it's not like i feel like people get the sense that you're raised religious like it's just like part of your culture or whatever but like he really found it um and i think that makes it different and yeah. he wasn't super hard on us partially because it was like dude you used to be hung over on the couch making us go to church with mom just because you didn't want us to be loud in the house <laughs> so you know better than That's to be funny. like come home at 10 or whatever and he didn't and he yeah. didn't and he's a, he, like it's sincerely i didn't know the only problems I had with religion growing up, like the wounds, were from how serious I took it. And that is dangerous. I don't want to overlook that. But like in terms of like, oh my God, uh, my grandpa's going to hell. Uh, you know, this is a sin and God saw me do that and I feel really guilty about it. And those wounds are real. But when I met other people later in life where they had these wounds of like, the church was hateful and they kept preaching that gays were going to hell and my friend was gay i I sincerely the church i grew up in i'm sure those people believe all that but it's sincerely not what they focused on they really focused on being nice and like they go back when i go back and i go to that church with my parents like people cry and hug me and no there's a real sense of community and And they're really sweet it does provide that and i like don't i'm super not into any of that anymore 
Um, and I'm, but I'm past my anti phase. I'm not like right. I, I went through that. That's for an a while. important phase. Though. Yeah, and but um, but I always like to like to your point of like of my mom. She converted hard, and and but but I always hasten to tell people she's like the kind of Christian you like because she's she's not the I'm gonna judge everybody. Oh, she went through that too. But now she's this this like. I just want to be the best human being I can That's and my mom. be generous and, and loving and try to actually live by the right. better tenets. That's my mom. And then my dad is like, like, if you said to my dad, you're like, well, you know, how do you feel about gay marriage? And he'd be like, look, they can do whatever they want. He wouldn't say fuck. But the Bible says, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like he's very much a hardliner. But he's like, I'm not going to spend my Sunday sermons preaching about the dangers of homosexuality <laughs> to a church of 40 people out in the, like I'm gonna preach about mm-hmm. finding Jesus yeah. and their lives, yeah, yeah. And, and and like and again, there's wounds that come from that. There's wounds that come from the whole structure that that if you're in it, you're gonna get them. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It's built on yeah. yes and no and don't and do. Yeah. But when I met people who grew up in it and they were like, yeah, man, my dad just sits around. You know, he always votes, and I'm just like, what? Like my dad, he voted Democrat a lot of time because he was in a union. He worked for the railroad. That's his like job during the week. And I'm certain he's against abortion. He's just smart enough to know that George Bush and Donald Trump don't give a fuck about abortion. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's just yeah. a talking point. Right. So so uh, I have a question then. So look, uh, Chris Rock has said, and I totally agree with this, um, that a preacher and a stand-up comedian are the same job. Yeah, um, And completely. they just have a, they're out for a different effect. Uh, the, the outcome of what they're doing is supposed to be different, but everything else is basically the same. And uh, so what influence did your dad being a preacher have on you deciding to do stand-up? Oh, I stole his act. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) I mean, it's like I'm loud. There's lots of metaphors. Uh he loves to talk about Jim Morrison. I'm, yeah, he loves he talking about Jim Morrison <laughs> act out. I'm, I'm, I'm as sincere as him, and I'm as serious. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like my, my comedy, my personality is very serious. Uh, not always, but I'm gonna talk to you like I do because I don't really know another way to do it. Like I would love to be Maria Bamford. One of the reasons I always pick her for stuff like this is she's like a fucking wizard to me. I have no idea how you mm-hmm. do that. Right. All I'm doing is just copying my dad mm. and other preachers growing up. Well, I mean, you are a I, copy of your dad, so that makes sense. Right. <laughs> and he didn't, well, he didn't start preaching until I was like 14. So there's other preachers in there too mm-hmm. that I pull from. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and there's, fun. there's, there's quite a, uh, um, <laughs> I'm going to run out of examples real fast, but like Chris Rock's dad was a preacher, if I recall. Um, uh, come on, Sam Kinison. Kinison uh, was a preacher himself. Yeah, he was a preacher himself, but he came from it too, if I recall. Yeah, but yeah, both of those are true. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I, I swear there's more, but... Was is your boyfriend's dad a preacher or he just grew up in the church? Pete Holmes. My boyfriend. Oh, he... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think his mom was just converted evangelical. Or actually, she. I think... Uh, my boyfriend feed homes. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think he just kind of like was told to go to church, and I don't then think he was thinking about being a youth pastor. I don't think you could call him his boyfriend if all they do is he masturbates about Pete Holmes when uh, he's thinking <laughs> about it. That's better than a lot of relationships, Jeff. All right, <laughs> all right, uh, but no, that's fair. I, I definitely took from people, and I took from my dad some, you know. Uh, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to do that. And then I think Rock's right in a grander scheme of things, too, in terms of 
we're asking you to come listen to us. The relationship is similar. And a lot of comedians are uncomfortable with that, and they deny it because they're like, I'm not trying to do anything, and I don't want that. And, and that's fair. Like, Burr always, like, when they clap instead of laugh, I don't yeah. read. I don't yeah. read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A new leader. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But there's, like, some beauty in that in terms of preachers, too. Preachers back home, I mean, a lot of them will be like, don't listen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I'm just here to help. But, yeah, like, yeah. don't. Don't worship me, worship God. Yeah, yeah. And I think like a lot of stand-up comics, not all of them, but they're kind of saying, you know, think for yourself. But I'm trying to get you to think for yourself by saying here are some of my thoughts or whatever. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I think that's accurate. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and what got you into stand-up? Man, I've loved it since I can always remember. Like I remember listening to Foxworthy on the porch. My uncle brought it over. It was like it was like the You Might Be a Redneck went viral in the South before going viral was a thing. Like he drove to our house and was like, Let, come on out on the porch. We're all going to listen to this. I remember that. My mom listened to Jerry Clower, who's a Southern storyteller, uh, who's so hilarious. And I remember sneaking up to listen to them, listen to Eddie Murphy while my mom and my Aunt Lisa were watching it. And you can imagine the effect that would have on a kid where like, you're not allowed to watch movies with two cuss words in them. And then they're allowed to do this? There's something special about this guy, you know? So there was, like, a lot of that. And then I just started watching, like, probably all of us about our age, Comedy Central, all the time. That was one of the cheapest ways they could put content out. When I was in high school, they had 30-minute specials on all day long. In the summers, I'd watch it all day. I'd watch it after school if I didn't have some kind of sport thing to do. So I saw all those 30-minute specials. Greg Fitzsimmons was my favorite comedian for a long time because he had a great Comedy Central 30. Um so that's so, how I got into it. So you loved it. You, it was a, it was this passion, but it was not at all something I imagined anyone doing. I didn't know. I mean, I'm from a very rural town. Like I didn't even know any lawyers. Yeah. Like and going to law school was like a big deal. I didn't know anyone who did. it. I didn't know how you would do it. God, I can so I, relate to this. When I was you're from Montana, yeah. yeah man. Who, who's doing stand up comedy? It's like Dude. there's people like we don't even have. You know, we got one cop. Yeah. There's no, yeah. no stand up. Right. Yeah. So, the stand up comic of that. I time. made good grades and I decided to go to law school really to hide. Like, I didn't want to grow up and I thought I should go to graduate school. It was like a way to keep going and not end up in my town and all that. And I'm gonna put on a I'm gonna I'm gonna put on a law degree camouflage suit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it was. But no one knew, even people who cared about me, they didn't realize that's what I was doing because I loved arguing. I was smart. I had a very analytical mind. There were parts of it that suited me. Like it wasn't completely random that I ended up there. But I shouldn't have been going to graduate school. I should have been figured out what the fuck I wanted to do in my life. Long story short, I ended up being a lawyer. Wasn't super happy with it. Uh, Love being a public, I was a public defender, loved what the work we did meant, but didn't enjoy doing it. And my wife uh, signed me up for a contest, like a comedy. She knew I'd always wanted to do it. And she was just like, you should do this. And I was like, maybe I will. She's like, well, I signed you up. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. That's cool. Andy's that's so cool. cool. At least that's how I remember it. She says that I signed up because she convinced me to that night. But I remember she was like, I already did it. Oh, <laughs> It's a better story if she Divorce, did Divorce, bro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get my start, honey? It is, it is a better story. Makes me look like a pussy, did, though. Did you think this is just a weird... Okay, so I feel the same way. I didn't know that you could be a comedian kind of thing. And then... Right. I don't know. Were you, were you in San Fran when you were... I don't think that's real- what makes you uh, look like a pussy. There's so many other things. What? 
I didn't what? call you a pussy. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Your Adasinus is very, it's going over my head and it's infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, that didn't work at all, though. I was like, I'm going to get a little dig in here. And you just looked at me and I was like, oh, I'm just an asshole. Okay. I thought you were being nice. Uh, I thought I, you were like, no, man. I wanted not. it to seem like a butter knife and then I wanted it to stab through you like a hatchet, but it didn't work. <laughs> I, I wait, wait one quick question. Yeah. Were you in San Fran when you realized you wanted to do stand up? I like knew when I you wanted realize to, you could do it. You know uh, what I mean? In the like, back of my to. mind, why I moved to a big city at all was so to that do. I could do stand-up one day. Okay. It was always there. E- even in college, all my friends knew, if they if you said, what does Jeff want to do? And they'd be like, he probably wants to do stand-up comedy. Even though I didn't get the balls to do it or even have the opportunity for a long time. Well, so... I don't. Well, I remember like we'd watch when I was 14, 13, which is kind of when you're getting your sense of humor in terms of like, I don't know, like what kind of comedy, like movie or stand up otherwise uh, you like. And I remember it was Martin Lawrence movies, it was Big Mama's House, Blue Streak. Um, and then Harmful of Swallowed came out that year, and it's, then Dimitri it's Martin. It's so sad to think that there are kids who grew up, and that was their introduction <laughs> to Martin. Because his show was so great, and most of those movies were terrible. Blue Streak is Blue amazing. And wait, in Big Mama's House, nah, it's him and Paul Giamatti nah, in a buddy cop movie. Nah, An Academy Award nah, nominated actor. Nah. Dude, you gotta rewatch it. Remember Dave Chappelle in Blue Streak? Where he's in there. Oh, uh, I can tell you, sir, is that he's gay. He's in there, and they're now interviewing him. And Martin Lawrence is beating him up, and that, <laughs> that lawyer comes to save him. And yeah. he's like, "Was he mean to you? He punched me in my nose. He told me I couldn't read good. <laughs> yeah. But that was so funny. That was such. <laughs> a told g- me I couldn't read good. That was my intro to Dave Chappelle uh, because I didn't know, I didn't realize. And meet uh, Martin gave him that break. See, Martin, you guys had something. Black I totally comics give didn't. black comics breaks. Television than white people. I think. I had all three channels. And, uh, oh, I was just uh, trying yeah. to make a Montana joke. Uh, Literally, right on. I had all three channels. I, we were not allowed cable. Uh, I, um, the only way I got into stand up was uh, George Carlin came through town, and uh, I was fourteen. There's I a was town? a freshman. Were you at Bozeman? Billings, the <clears throat> metropolis <throat> of okay. Montana. It is. I think we we're going to try to play there. It's one of the states we haven't done yet. If you do go there, mm-hmm. let me know uh, because I know the only comedians there. Uh, <laughs> they've had a. They actually have a following. I know the. I know the big shock jock DJ. What He's about? a friend of mine too. The Big Sky Festival is one of the best festivals in the country. So right yeah, now. Luke, Luke, Lucas Seeley, uh, formerly Luke Kutla. Uh, um, I oh, think it was secrets. my sister's first kiss. <laughs> Yeah, in high school, um, he's the head of that. Um, so uh, have you done it? Uh, I applied this year, and they didn't fucking put me on. You, I, should, you should call him and be like, "Bro, my sister's got so much dirt." Yeah, um, call his wife. Is he yeah. married? Uh, he's not married. Oh he, man, like he's a, he's a he he lives in uh, L.A. with another good friend of mine who's a stand up comic from from uh, uh, Montana. So so um uh, but I, what I was gonna say is just he came through town. An English teacher of mine said, I'm going to go see George Carlin. I'm 14. I say, who's George Carlin? And he goes, he's a stand-up comic. And I go, what's a stand-up? What's a, what? You could just, like, he's like, oh, you just tell jokes. Like, that's a job? And so I, I worked in, in Montana. A, do kids speak like they're in 1940s movies, or is this like part of this? <laughs> we all What's have a stand-up yeah. comic. Golly, <laughs> Gee Wilkers, will you please tell me? I would love to know. I like knowledge, Mister <laughs> Schwartz. Uh, like so, knowledge. so, so then 
I worked at a video store at the time, and I could take home videos, whatever. Stuff uh, like that's so important. And I went, I snuck them out. I watched them like, I watched George Carlin like porn. Dude, video stores and record stores, like people our age and a little mm-hmm. older, that's like responsible for everything that we care about. Mm-hmm. I think that's Dude, probably I miss true. Blockbuster still. You don't know shit about video stores. Shut up, Harrison. You have the internet. Video, Get out of here. Hush. The I adults are talking. Look, dude, I came the first time before the internet was there to help help out with that. Okay. All right. Yeah, Amazing. So- <laughs> Wait, you're you're 31. I'm 32. You're 32. Yeah, it took me a minute. 37. Seven. Yeah. 26. Yeah. Okay. Fucking. You're right. You're right. Okay. So the the end of that is just I just <laughs> wanted to point this point part out because you were talking about how you had to sneak in watching, being able to watch Eddie Murphy like like I imagine you like over the stairs like to just I was behind the couch. There you go. Okay. I could only hear it. Right. My so, mom loved <laughs> bigger great. and blacker. Oh my god, that's before so great. I got to see it. <laughs> that was a big. My mom loves Chris Rock. We saw top five. We were the Harrison. Only... We are talking about old people shit. Hush for a second. <laughs> Finish your point, Jeff. Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> old people shit. All right, listen. Okay, old Fucking whippersnappers. Uh, so, I, yeah, and then I, I had to, like, wait till my parents went to bed, put the VHS in, and watch it as though it were porn. And then, like, be scared. I'd hear a bump and be like, oh, shit. I'd have to, like, turn it off. Right. <laughs> Just because it that was made George it better, Carlin. though, didn't it? Oh, yeah. George Collins to this day is my favorite because he like he changed my whole worldview. Yeah. I, I was like I remember laughing just being like, You can't say that. You can't talk about that. That's not okay. That's all that's wrong. I think that's disappeared some. It, it, I, it's hard for me to imagine yeah. a stand-up comic saying something these days and a 14-year-old, yeah. unless they're raised in a certain culture, mm-hmm. being like, you're not allowed to say that because right. it's like people say everything. What, what were you going to say about Chris Rock? I'm sorry. Oh, that, I mean, I just... Uh, Please don't apologize for that. No, well, yeah, it was I'm just good. a joke. I was just, actually actually, to I was just kidding, but then he just, I was just stopped about telling to the story. Add, add to your point, I I think uh, we saw me and my girlfriend saw uh, Jeffries at the Jim Jeffries at the Beacon, and I feel like he is now the, I, watching his performance because this is like the first major set I've seen, like in you know, because like the world is on fire right now, and like people like need comedy, and there's a lot of shit going on. Sure. Back back home, people think the world's doing fine. Yeah, well, yeah they do. That's they do. true. They're like, finally, it's back on track. I don't think I've seen like he is the dude that like attacks issues, but doesn't give up his right to be just like disgusting and make the crowd uncomfortable. He made the crowd so uncomfortable by making the best arguments against like Trump and like this in this very Carlin esque way, like where it's like it can get violent, it can get like you heard it here first, folks. Jim Jeffries, the next Carlin. You might, <laughs> I, I, mean, would, if, I mean, I think I'm possible. I, I think it's he's not the dude. out of the realm of possibility. And also, I uh, he I don't know. Um, I but I I agree with you. I think it's really comics are getting less and less, um, like their irreverence. Um, Irreverence is not is not necessarily the way. I mean, it can yeah. be. Like, I have noticed that that's one like positive of quote unquote PC culture. All the comics who whine about it, mm-hmm. I'm like, without it, you're irrelevant. Yeah, you that's that, such right? a good yeah. point. Like, it, it's if, such if, a good point. What are you gonna talk about, guy who's been talking about his dick and fucking transvestites for the last five minutes? And those are fine jokes. But what are you gonna talk about if PC culture goes away? Like, if all you do is say faggot at the end of every punchline. You ain't got like 
it's not true of everybody, but a lot of those comics, I'm like, this is all you got, dude. So you better stop railing against it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the it's the it's the tension and taboo nature of the things you're talking about that you're playing off of to get your laughs. Right. And, and I I do want to talk about openers. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. this is great. I just I I'm I I want to be cognizant of our time. So uh, what I'm going to play next is a bit. Uh, it's a very short. It's an opener uh, of Drews. I'm the son of a Southern Baptist preacher and a Sunday school teacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, genetics work, you know that makes me an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> All right, so there's your opener. That is what I'm currently using, yes. Mm-hmm. And I've had such a long roller coaster relationship with this joke um when i first wrote it of course i liked it it was funny and it got me out of the gate and uh at that time i didn't feel at all like i had a problem with alcoholism it was just the funniest thing i could think of as a switcheroo to put there my dad is a preacher my mom is a sunday school teacher and uh and honestly i stumbled into that as a one-liner and started using as my opener without realizing at the time i didn't know how well i was setting up my set and now that I'm doing long sets in the South a lot and all over the country with the Well Red Tour, with the Liberal Redneck, like it's a great way to get into all my religious material and introduce myself as someone who has this background. But what you're about to hear is that it turns out I didn't stick with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have noticed that it, people who know me, some of that early stuff, some of the stuff at the top of my set, like I've got an uncle who like emailed me recently. He was very offended by one of my jokes on behalf of my father, which Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, But um, anyway, I I wrote the joke or whatever. I came up with it. I was a young comic and I liked it. And uh, and I started doing it as my opener and then I stopped doing it for years because I got tired of it. And I was doing it a little differently back then. The the structure was only slightly different. You want to play that? Yeah, let's play that one, which is closer to it. Okay. Closer to the original, I think. It's barely different. I am the son of a Southern Baptist preacher and a Sunday school teacher. So if you guys know how genetics work, I'm an alcoholic. The difference is, in that first clip that you guys heard, I go, you know that makes me, and I pause, and then just say, an alcoholic. That pause makes all the difference in the world, which is so interesting. What do you think it does? Um, It highlights the Mm punchline. It says to the Mm -hmm. audience, we are coming up on the funny part. Prepare for it. Whereas the the way you just played, I got the alcoholic a lot quicker. And the joke there is to set up an expectation. We're talking about genetics, and we're talking about two parents who are very religious, and then to defy that expectation with the alcoholism. And then the extra funny part is you go... Oh wait, actually, I could see that. Like you know, what I mean, like that probably happens a lot. Yeah, because it ends up bringing true, so you get right. a little bit more oomph in the laugh. Exactly. Yep. Mm. That pause allows people to you know prepare for that. So, so the evolution of the joke, or in terms of my relationship with it, not necessarily as much as it changing, is I did it. I did it for two or three years, and I got tired of it. And I was doing uh, I was doing comedy in Knoxville. Everyone in the scene knew me, which I'm sure you guys can identify with. This you start. You're around the same comics all the time. You're paying more attention to how they respond to you than you are the crowds. So the crowds were laughing every time. But like 
every all my comedy friends were tired of my opener and I was tired of my opener and then when you get tired of a joke you can really let that out accidentally you can really display how tired of it you are so I stopped doing it and I thought I would never do it again and then I came up to New York and I had a few different openers I would try but Nothing hit quite as hard as that. So I went back to it a little bit. That's when it started changing with the pause because I was becoming a better comedian. And I started liking it again. I started realizing the power of it. And that was something I, I, as a young comic, I stumbled into that powerful tool. But how would you characterize that power? You walk out on stage and you get a laugh that quickly. Mm -hmm. You are now in control. Mm -hmm. You have established that I am a funny person. And I have a point of view. You just developed credibility instantaneously, and they and they and go. Interest. He's coming from some somewhere. How much time was that? That thirty seconds? Uh, no, oh, that that's, was eleven. It's eleven seconds. Eleven seconds. That's 11 dope. Seconds. It is <laughs> yeah, great. That's and, super quick. Um, I, I'm curious a couple of things. Actually, let's talk about the pause first. Okay. Okay. So, and I do think this is like, I don't know. I imagine it's something you can learn over time, but it is a feel thing. Oh yeah, I didn't purposely change that. Like, whenever I started doing it that way, it just happened on stage. Making people laugh, you're breaking them open. You're breaking open the crowd. I mean, and, and if you think about it, I don't want to say it's forced, but laughter is sort of involuntary. Like, if I tickle you, you might not want to laugh. You might hate me. A lot of people hate being tickled. But then you laugh uncontrollably. There's a touch of that in what we do. And so if you go out there and you do that quickly, you're really showing these people, I know what I'm doing and that's why openers are so important, and that's why comics obsess over them. Um, you can go too far with it. Like, if you can get into a joke quickly, if you can if you can just, like, start a joke. We already did the, the Bamford clip, didn't we? Yeah. If she'd have just started that story, she would have got laughs. Like, if she'd have just started doing her mom, she would have got laughs because she's funny and she's calm, And but it wasn't she needed... It's better if she does the, I'm from Duluth or whatever first because you're establishing something and they relax and they're no longer judging you. Now they're listening to you. And that's huge. It's so fucking huge. So anyway, I came here. I started doing it again. And then I started hating it again. I got tired of doing it. I got down on myself in terms of like, man, I really need to be able to write another one. I started looking for other ones. Uh, I found a few that worked okay in different ways. Um found some jokes that were great jokes that didn't work as openers, which I guess we can set up that next clip um, if you don't mind. So this is a joke that works really well in the middle of a set, and I have tried it about six times at the top of a set on shows, proper shows. And I get a few laughs, but uh, just play it. Believe it or not, I was an all-state quarterback in high school. That's what I true. Thank you. The rest of you, you don't have to clap for that. Any of you could have done it. I don't, I don't hold on to that shit. Only thing I have left over from those days is that joke. And uh, I do have some abs. I have those V muscles, <laughs> the lower obliques. Only problem is, as you can see in this extra medium Skinner shirt that I'm wearing, those are the only abs that I have. When I take this off, it looks like two hands holding up a hairy basketball. That first line, I was an all-state quarterback in high school. People, turns out, oh, do yeah. not like uh, that. Uh, I know just why, too. And uh, so, yeah. but if I put it in the middle, they they've already trusted me. So now they know I'm going somewhere. And when I first wrote that joke, I wasn't worried about it because it ends with me making fun of my body. But if you open with that, 
and they'll give it to you. Like when I've opened with that joke, the set has eventually gone fine right. because they're like, "Oh, he was just wanting to make fun of himself." But if you put it in the middle, they trust you. There's none of that like weird tension. Like, what's he doing? Why is he telling us this dude's bragging or whatever it is? Exactly. I thought you got away with opening with it really well at Broadway one time. I was like watching you do like some audition, and then you did that. You opened with like I was an all state quarterback in high school, and then there was no response, and you were like, "I'm sure any of you could do that." And then it got a big laugh from that, and right. then you win. I think then you went into your like nicknames. Well, joke. that's part of why I thought it would work. Yeah. Is I thought I can build a tension, yeah, and then break it with this aggressive, like I'll keep going with this, and that's where that joke comes from. Is I is when I tried it as my opener, the line I just said it on stage one night. I was like, I was all state quarterback in high school, and it got super tense, and I went, Oh yeah, you guys don't have to clap. Any of you could have done it, I'm sure. Yeah. And then they laugh at their own insecurity, but even that's yeah. a different set. That's fine, but I'm not Jezelnik. Like the rest of the set is oh, not yeah. going to be me coming at them from above and saying to you, oh. you couldn't have done the things that I could do. I've thought about it. I've thought about <laughs> trying to like craft a set that way or be that person, but I don't think it's who I am. Do you guys know? It's Conrad? a part of. It's a part of who I am. Huh? Do you guys know Conrad Roth? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a perfect he, guy. Oh, perfect. He's a, he opens. Love Ethan him. was SP was telling me about this last night, where he just or Davidson was telling me this that he just came up and he was like. He's like, hear that? Hear the sound of those shoes? Yeah, you know what's up, you fucking bitches. And then just everyone just died, and it was just the best yeah, opening. Sure, yeah. You sure. fucking he's, bitches. He's, yeah. <laughs> you and know I, and, what time it is And that's of my inside shoes? me. Yeah. That's inside me, but it's not... It's either not who I am or it's not who I'm trying that. to establish in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so think, even when it gets laughs, it sets up my set in a different way. I think part of it, too, with Conrad is there is a twinkle in his eye, and he's having so much fun being that. Sure. That it's not, you can tell he's not trying to get anything from it. And I've it. never enjoyed it. I've always had like a little bit of the opposite where I get like embarrassed <laughs> when people find out like certain accolades or whatever. Like people, like I do podcasts, and then people are like, you went to law school? And then I, I'm always, I'm always, I'm not ashamed. I'm just like, oh, so that's who I am to this person. Whereas Conrad would be like, yeah, you're goddamn right, I did. I'm a fucking genius. Yeah, you know, like he'll tell you all the time how smart he is. He's told me that like 15 times. He's told me how smart yeah. he is. We've hung out 16 times. Like he's, me- <laughs> he's a lovable piece of shit, but also like backs up what he says. So sure. I mean, yeah. Anyway, I just think, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like you well, don't want to establish a persona that isn't natural for you, and if or, you're not, you're or you're not going to live up to it for the and rest also, of that set. Like, like uh, what if you're vulnerable later, and they're going to be like, "Wait a minute, this is not who you asked us to believe you to be." Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, your current opener, preacher, Sunday school teacher, alcoholic. What do you? The two questions on that. What do you think is the expectation that gets shattered with the punchline? And uh, the second question is. What do you think um, you're really establishing in the minds of uh, the audience in terms of your character you're going to be on stage? In terms of the first question, the expectation, it's, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a, like a deep expectation. I think it's just like a typical switcheroo joke. I was just explaining that's why it's funny. But is, what are you switching from? Well, I say genetics. I say that, that's the word that oh, kicks it out. Oh, got it. Yeah, like, got it. If you know anything about genetics, you know that makes me, mm-hmm. it's like, what would genetics have to do, do with what with he's about to say? Right. And I think that's just interesting. And then 
if you say it right, people like laughing at your pain. So if you just say alcoholic, like I said, I never even felt like I had a problem with alcoholism when I first wrote this joke. And since I don't, I wouldn't say that I have like a huge problem with it in terms of, um, like I haven't drank right now in like six days. And the reason I quit though, is because on the road I wasn't getting hammered. I was drinking like four or five, but I do it almost every night and I was starting to get fat and feel shitty that's in and of itself that's a, that's its own problem you know what i mean it's almost like a coffee habit to where you know what i mean it's not like an alcoholism anyway the reason i say all that is there's there was another time just in terms of the evolution of this joke where i was like and also i don't like the joke because it's not real it's a lie and then like a couple months later i was like oh. is it a lie yeah. like okay i'm definitely not an alcoholic but i yeah. clearly have issues with it mm-hmm because when I'm on the road, I have to either don't drink at all or I'm going to end up having four or five every night, you know, which a real alcoholic will be like, all right, dude, whatever. Fine. I'm not an alcoholic who has to like, you know, it's, it would be wrong of me to try to get sympathy for that. But there's still some truth in there. And it's funny that that like the joke told me the truth long before my brain was willing to wrap its head around it. Oh, you know, what so I mean? interesting I that felt- like the material stayed the same and you evolved into it. Sure. In a way. Well, or I accepted it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've probably drinking a lot when I first wrote it, too. Yeah. Uh, probably more than even recently. So there's that. And then your second part of your question, what I think it sets up in people's mind, number one, I'm about to do a lot of religious material. Uh, but number two is I come from this background, and we're about to get into what it did to me. We're going to analyze it. We're going to go through it. And we're going to be a little irreverent, but we're also going to be self-deprecating here. Like these jokes, I'm not going to I'm not going to open with a joke about how dumb Jesus is. I'm going to open with a joke about because that's not how I feel. Like I, I know my mom and how great of a person she is and how much her religion's meant to her. So I don't feel that way. I don't think all these people are fucking idiots. So we're going to open with a joke that establishes, though, it done it did some things to me, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about that, cool. and it's going to get dark. And I'm gonna be. We're gonna be able to laugh at me, and you're gonna be able to laugh at me. Um, but I'm also going to be able to shit on it too. And you're gonna let me because I'm funny. So, uh, and I, I always follow it up with a religious joke. I would never do that joke and not do a religious joke. Second, mm-hmm. it would be weird. How do you transition into Jim Morrison? By the way, I, I mean, because it's not like any this guy with this joke. Well, I'm just always I'm trying to think what because your your act is a lot about your upbringing, and then you have like that great bit it's about religion. Global. I talk about music being my religion now. Yeah, okay. And that's I was I just thinking. Yeah. What? I, I, I'm looking at his notebook. He wrote Jim Morrison 17 times on there. I don't have it on there. <laughs> I have Sunbright, but I have Sunbright because I thought it'd be. It sounded funny. It sounds like a redneck describing the weather. Sure. It's like We've got, it we have Sunbright, P Ridge, Coalfield. Oakdale. These are real towns in my county. Wait, no. what's the <laughs> Murfreesboro? Okay, well that's like that's a German in, word or something. That's in Tennessee though. Murfreesboro, that, yeah. Murfreesboro. No, it's like Murfreers. No, it's, it's Murfreesboro. <laughs> Murf. I think these are. Oh well, you know what I'm thinking. There's Murfreesboro in Tennessee, and then there's Murfreesboro in North Carolina. So it's like we drove through both on the way to. You Barrow. are just lying. No, I am not. John Mulaney has a bit about the town. Why did you just write Jim Morrison down again? (laughs) (laughs) It's a oh, I have VHS. But anyway, that's uh, that's what I think it establishes. And like I said, I always go into a religious joke after. I I don't know. Like, it's easier for me to analyze Bamford or someone else. I don't know how the audience necessarily takes me, but I know it works, and I know it works for me. And so I've 
I've fallen back into like with it because it sets up my current set so well. I'm not going to sit here and shit on a joke because I'm tired of doing it when it's really perfect for what I've been doing. The, the 25 to 30 that I've been doing on the road recently, I, there, there's just not a better opener. It sets up everything perfectly. It's hard for a comic to be likably aggressive towards the audience, and you do that, I think, better than anyone. And in not like it, not like the way Conrad does it, but you're like, I'm gonna tell you these jokes, and this is how it is. Well, I guess that's the preacher stuff coming out, and the type of preachers <laughs> totally. that we were talking about. But it's Thank so likable, and nice it's like compliment. I feel safe with you. Not like likable. That's because you want me to be your dad. That's like well, you're talking oh, you about how I generally. make you feel <laughs> safe. <laughs> well, now Jeff is my new dad. That's, I have two dads now. That's great. Um, I my hope, dad is I do dead. Hope. If that is unclear, yeah. <laughs> Harrison, they all know. No one knows. Yeah, but we all yeah, know. Just go your, I just want to make sure people go in your are bio like, on you the website. <laughs> yeah, dad, dad. But I think, uh, I mean, thank you for that comment. I hope that's somewhat true in terms of just people being like, "Oh, all right, we're going to let him get away with stuff." And I guess that's all you can ask out of an opener is like, I want them to think that I'm funny, and then sort of subconsciously give me permission for all the stuff I'm about to do. It's super and, and and it's I think it's so unbelievably crucial uh to figure out that opener when well, you're walking wait, wait so like because it matters at this level more than any other level because when you're an established personality then people have a pretty good sense of who you are already. Whereas this is like one more pin you have to set up, and it's one of the, it's probably one of the most important ones. Well, I guess the only thing I was going to say is I've certainly seen comics on the way up go into a club and they and their first laugh comes thirty seconds in. Like going back to the Bamford bit, just start with the. So I used to go to boy girl parties, blah 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 blah. It's very possible to do, uh, but this is like a little extra. If you can if you can crack the code of being funny in the first ten to twelve seconds, I think you're it's it's like another level of things. It just really helps out a lot. It's not necessary. You have to be funny in the first thirty seconds or you're fucked. But if you can do it in the first fifteen, you're really, really telling the crowd, Hey, get ready. We're about to have fun. Well, I think I mean I actually I, I agree I think it's really impressive to do it in first 11 that's awesome well that's why a lot of people will comment on something that's already happened like welcome to the stage Tim Dillon that's what I was just and like thinking. Tim Dillon often will be like thank give it up for this fucking piece of shit who's like blah 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 <laughs> yeah. and you're just like that's what he's doing he's mm-hmm. saying this is who I am and I'm funny immediately and that's why a lot of comics do that and I do that a lot too at bar shows I like a slow build intro uh, opener though too <laughs> like um Something I'm not going to do the joke, but there there was a a joke that the laugh doesn't come in until like thirty seconds in. You've probably seen me open with it, the doing cocaine off the baby thing. Sure, but but it, it, but, sh- it but it it is going to come within that thirty seconds. A and then B, you're really confident. Like well, the audience yeah. listens to you immediately because of your confidence. Well, that's tr- well, that's true. But also, I I feel like you see how not confident he was in that response. Well, you're that's really confident. I don't know, man. Maybe I guess you <laughs> <laughs> really. Well, the, the thing is, confident? it's like I like it because what I would do is I would I would say like I'm excited. Uh, there's this bar in my neighborhood, and it's like a baby friendly bar. Which is You're, a weird premise. It's interesting, and that's what I was saying earlier. If you can't yeah. be funny immediately, you can get away with being interesting, and then but 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 you build attention, right? Like that joke builds a lot of tension when you do it at the top, does it yeah. not? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That well, will, th- I like that the, tension more than... Of course, because you're going to break it with quick. a great punchline. Yeah. But part of the tension isn't just the joke. Yeah. The joke itself has tension built in. The other part of the tension is they're like, all right, dude. You know, subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consciously no, this, I agree. Subconsciously, the crowd's going, okay, you, this better be going somewhere. Yeah. Or we're done for the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah. But you know that, and you know the joke's good enough that you're fine with it. Uh-huh. And that is another way to do it. Yeah. I just think that... If you have a joke, the easier way to do it is just right off the bat. Hello, I'm here. I'm funny. Yeah, and um, I definitely, I I struggle with this like crazy. I don't quite know uh, what character I would want to establish. There's like lots of different facets, and I don't know which, like to just point it like that um, is a struggle. Well, for the joke that I use, it's just because I'm going to talk about religion. Mm -hmm. Like when I, if I wasn't going to talk about religion, I'd have to do a different joke. So I guess I mean I'm not. In the do you have a, do you have another advice. character establishing opener that you that you use if you're not going to talk about that stuff? Um, sometimes I will do the all state thing, even though it doesn't always work. Uh, no, honestly, after, if it's not that, I do what Harrison's. I just I just do a good joke. Like I'll I'll often comment on something that's Me going too. on. Yeah. One thing I do, and this is kind of cheating is like if people clap and they clap loudly like they're drunk or it's mm-hmm. been a hot show i'll be like all right all right e- easy easy i don't need that kind of pressure from you people oh that's funny right. yeah. Um, yeah it's like the rory scoville shut it down sure yeah, yeah. shut it down right yeah. i love shit like that like attacking the audiences right. liking you already yes <laughs> super fun because you're wrong too you don't know me yet yeah. so i do a little bit of that but but i do more like what harrison does i just pick a joke that i know i can get to a punchline in 30 seconds and that requires you know, a lot of confidence and just sitting in that silence and mm-hmm. knowing I'm totally gonna, I'm going to break it. Totally. I will break and, this silence and, soon. Just come with me. And guys. how you how you operate in that silence is fucking crucial. Sure, like that you have to just sit there and know in every fiber of your being that that laugh is coming when you want it to. Um, if there's even like this fucking shredded out, they will smell it. Oh God! <laughs> and if you fail, oh. like if you, I mean, to be completely honest with you, like in a club setting, not in a bar setting, that happens still all the time. That hasn't happened to me in a long time in a club setting. My God, it washes over you like the darkness of depression. Oh, yeah, you know, just just like oh, it's so painful. Oh. Club bump. I actually don't. I just don't do enough clubs to. Well, I mean, I'm clubs. talking about like the first joke bombing mm-hmm. though, specifically. Now that's happened to me in a bar. That's happened to me in a bar recently, and uh, I'm trying to think of where it was or what even the joke was. But I mean, I just knew this is not. Gonna it's be- like it's. I, I have. Um, it's it's almost like it's kind of the same thing as when you have a, a long act out coming and you start out with the premise and the first little joke that's leading into the act out, but they don't laugh at that first joke immediately following the premise. And you're like, oh, fuck, I got three minutes of this to go. Oh, being stuck uh, in it? Like, yeah, yeah. It's always kind of the same sort of Morrison thing. Morrison is, now I'm back on it. That's really the only joke that's long. <laughs> no, the Carney joke is long, too. I only have two jokes that I can't get out of quickly. I've bailed on one of them. I've bailed on both of them before. I've just bailed. Yeah, I've bailed too. I, 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 when I'll, I'll say to them, I'll, I'll say I have this, I have this long uh, bit about the Aztecs. Uh, oh, that's a great bit. I fucking man. love that bit. But it's one of those ones that, like, it's, it's. If I go with every angle I've come up with on it, it's probably six or seven minutes long. And if they're not on board at the beginning, I'll give them one thing, like, yo, whoa, 
get on board. This is gonna, the next five minutes going to suck if you don't. And then sometimes they'll get on board. And if they don't, eventually like, look, the rest of this is Aztecs and you ain't digging it. So, <laughs> all right, let's do something else you like. Like, uh, I'll, I'll give that's in. That's the worst feeling. That's so awful. I, if, oh, no, no. I was going to say, if I said, guys, this is going to be five minutes, you better get on board. I think I'd have to do it after that. I, I think I had my competitiveness and my, uh, I would just be like, all right, you know what? This is y'all's fault. I've done so both. <laughs> I have asked you to do a thing and you didn't, but I mean, it wouldn't be their fault. Isn't it weird though no. when you have a bit where it's like, um, I, I guess minor end up being act outs if it's like a three layered bit where the bit starts and it's like this setup can get really big laughs or absolutely nothing, but this last part is. First of all, the first part sets it up if even if they don't laugh, and then this last part is like the bang, and I don't need you to laugh at the intro sure. to get to this part. The closest joke I have to that is the global warming joke, and I'll be <laughs> honest with you, though, and I'm not trying to, but like I worked on that joke for a long time, and what you just said is the reason why. If you have a joke like that, and I'm not trying to like douchebag you or big yeah, time, yeah. work on that premise get something out of it every time even yeah. if it's just a light chuckle because the pop will be so much worth it more yeah. worth it and you'll figure something out because that's what makes a joke great if there's a pop at the end that you know is coming and it always comes you have a good joke if you fix that premise you have a great joke. dude i yeah. will rework and rework that premise to sure. try to hit that i have a i have a, a moon landing bit that I love doing, and when I get to that solid act out, just there's a moment where I don't even have to say anything. It's just the the, the motions that I'm making. It's a very visual bit, and I can just sit there and I can milk it. I can do just another little facial expression, another little move, and they laugh harder each time. But getting to it is so hard. It takes so long, and it's always it's always a gamble. It's, but I love that. I love that 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 fear too. I like to feel. Am I going to pull it off this time? I, there's something about one of the that. most rewarding uh, experiences doing that Morrison act out was uh, they do it uptown. Andrew Bayroff and Han, what's his Swedish friend? I hope they don't listen to this because I can't remember their names. But they had a show uptown, and I did Morrison, and one of them said to me when I got done, it, and it went really well. A six minute act out and an eight minute set, huh? I would never have the balls to do that. And I was just like, I didn't even think of it that way because yeah, I believed in the joke. I was like yeah. really right after I moved to New York and I hadn't eaten shit with it enough. So really they were like, yeah. like a, they had experience that I had I didn't have yet. Mm-hmm. But Cult of the writer. Patton Oswalt said something about Goldman's last Conan that was very similar, which is like he did his entire Conan about one fucking bit. Yeah, if it and doesn't it, work, you're fucked. Yeah. Yep. And he just yeah. pulled it off and yep. it's, it's a great bit. Um, should we move on to ice fishing? Please, yeah. Oh, please do this. All right. Uh, is this? The, I'm don't don't set it up at all. Just play it and then we'll talk. Okay, it. got it. God damn it, Harrison! Don't set it up at all. We can edit that out. <laughs> no, we can leave it. I'm not even in the podcast. I'm just here for moral support. And no, I think it's funnier if people hear me say "Don't set it up at all" and then you set it up. <laughs> can I play it now? Sure, Dad. It's been one of those years like that for me. In February, I was doing a show in the northern part of Minnesota. And it was so cold, a beautiful place. It was so cold. It was like 15 below zero. And after the show, we were talking to some guys backstage, and they were trying to talk us in to going ice fishing with them. 
It's 15 degrees below zero. I said, guys, you know what? I appreciate it. I said, I don't really think I want to be that cold. And one of the guys goes, oh, it's not that cold. He goes, we built a big bonfire out on the lake. (laughs) And you call us stupid in the South. (laughs) But I got to thinking about that ice fishing, especially from the point of view of the fish that gets caught and then thrown back. Think about it. In the animal kingdom, that has got to be the closest thing to one of those out-of-body experiences. That fish that gets thrown back, he goes back and he tells his buddies, he's like, dudes, I was just swimming along and all of a sudden I felt myself being drawn towards the light. And it was getting brighter and brighter. And then I went through this opening and I saw my dead relatives all around me. I saw God. He was wearing a flannel shirt and a Budweiser hat. And he held me and said, it's not yet your time. Go back. (laughs) Oh, what a great bit. Oh, Oh, it's so good. It starts out with this, like, let's make fun of ice fishing in the typical Uh almost Seinfeldian way of, we're going to build a fire on the ice. How stupid. And then he goes, but I got to thinking about it from the fisher's perspective. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts that Jeff Fox really thought of that the fish and the out-of-body experience and that, and then was like, how the fuck do I get into that? Especially with my audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with my blue-collar, you-might-be-a-redneck fans. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do I talk about the existential experience of dying <laughs> and coming back to life from the point yeah. of view of a fish who's talking to his fish friends uh, yeah. to my audience? Because it's funny, and they're not stupid. They will like it. But I have to introduce it to them carefully. And so he does this thing about ice fishing, and then that that line, it's perfect. And uh, you say, we're dumb here in the South. Now everyone is like, yeah, we're not dumb. There is no way, and I'm not saying he even thought of this, but there's no way that someone won't laugh at the weirdness of that joke, even though it's weird, after he just told them, you're smart. Like, he just got done telling you, he just got done getting you to laugh at someone thinking that you're stupid. Now you will go anywhere with me. Because you're smart. So I'm going to go to this weird place. And I've been lost, lost in that joke for years. I have a whole cartoon that I've written a few episodes of around the idea. And it's about like a fish who's a teenager whose mom dies, but she just gets (laughs) caught. But they don't have a way of explaining it in their fish society. And so there's churches. (laughs) Like the church explains it as God calling up the perfect you know who has the perfect soul and all that because that's what we do with phenomena that we can't explain we we ascribe supernatural or religious some people say those are the same thing explanations to it and i i i've been lost in that but there's so much there he says i went towards the light i was drawn towards the light i mean imagine being caught like if you were a fish and you could c- converse with your friends but you hadn't yet you didn't have the cognitive ability to actually know that there were humans on a different plane who were pulling you up. Like, what a fucking wild thing, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, I saw my dead relatives. I saw the face of God. And then he goes, he was wearing flannel and a Budweiser hat. <laughs> yeah. Now we're back to Jeff Foxworthy's audience. Now we are back to everyone in there laughs at the dude's outfit who goes fishing. We know what that is. That's fine. And we have forgotten that this dude is making me laugh at a joke about death and fish who talk. 
and if I, if I said that, hey, I got my, one of my favorite jokes is a joke. This dude's talking about like there's fish talking. It's about death, you know, and, and how ice fishing puts all these existential thoughts in your head. You'd be like, all right, who's this Brooklyn comic I need to hear of? Yeah, I was just thinking it's kind of a headburgy. He's like, I went up to the light and then they said it wasn't my time. Right. But I did see my relatives. So, it, OK. It's all over it the map. Be. It like could be. Anyone. Let's, That's let's, what. let's let's pick it apart. Uh, so uh, I love this. This is such a great <laughs> bit to talk about. Um Especially because of who it is. Yep. Yeah, right. He's supposed to be dumb and awful, and he's right, not. He's right. such no, a good comedian. He's, he's smart. Um, so, uh, b- the the bonfire on the lake, uh, just the setup right there, right. The, the punchline of that joke Perfect. is a misdirection for the bit. Right. That's... I love it. Like, he, I mean, I'm... A, I'm wondering if Fox would have heard us say this, if he'd be like, eh, I just said, but like, it's what it ends up being. It's what it ends up being. It's a pivot. And it, and it's a, it's such a great, um, it's a great example. Of, I mean, let's, let's not try to get into his head. Let's just talk about the mechanics of how it, the function of it. Right. Um, so, uh, it, it ends what I love about that is it is, um, you think the joke, you think you know where the joke is going once you hear that punchline. You're like, great, I get this bit. Yes. And you super We're breaking don't. down the dumbness of ice fishing. Yes. We're going to make more jokes mm-hmm. about dumb red... And here's the other place I thought it was going when I was younger. Probably. Maybe I didn't. Uh, but it's like, we're about to talk about how dumb people can be all over. And we're about to talk about dumb rednecks in Minnesota. We're about to talk about how redneck you guys are compared to us. And and we're going to relate. You're going to love the joke, rednecks here in Minnesota. You're going to love this joke because I'm going to relate something you do to something I do, and we're going to laugh at ourselves. And that would have been a fine joke. It would have been fine. He's good. Like, the, the way he delivers that punchline, and you say, we're stupid. Like, without breaking it down too far, it's like, we're going an interesting place. This is fine. So you say we're stupid. So that falls into there's lots of theories to why comedy works, right? right? What makes people laugh? And one of them, one of the oldest ones, I believe, is um, it's uh, I think it's Aristotle um, who says it's a theory theory of the superior of superiority that uh, you, you evoke a laugh when you make people feel superior to other people suddenly. Um, it's a very old, very, very old theory, theory of humor. Um, and that's kind of what happened right there. All of a sudden he goes and they thought we were like, sure. But he could, and he could tell it in Minnesota and they would laugh at themselves. Right. And it would be the irony of, we do think we're better than those people, but maybe we're not. Mm -hmm. And so I would maybe take it a step further. It could be just like a, an, a, an abrupt shift in status. Sure. Uh, or perceived status. Yeah. It also kind of works if you, I mean, he's saying we're not that stupid. He's, he's letting the audience know they're not that stupid. But also I think people like it when you're from a shitty place that gets a bad rep for like having a low IQ thing. Like you posted something about that Mississippi subway ad and it's just like, fuck you guys. But... People like it when it's like the South or just like rural or country people are very aware of how they're perceived and they're shedding light on it. You know what I mean? Right. Owning, like owning that perception. Just being like, I acknowledge this perception. I know what you you guys think about me and fuck you. I'll throw it right back in your face. Yeah, yeah. You kind of said what he said though about a status shift, which is Mm -hmm. there you're embodying the status shift of like, 
You're not giving it to the audience. Yeah, like, yeah. I know you think this about me, but I'm smarter than you or I'm as smart as you. Yeah. I want you to know that I respect you and I wanted you to make your point because I wanted so bad to be like, Harrison, the fucking adults are talking. Ah! <laughs> and it would have gotten a laugh, but I, I was like, he might be going anymore. somewhere. He might be going somewhere. Let's see where he's going. I don't enjoy this anymore. <laughs> So, um, so then he then he does the next move. He makes is one of my absolute favorites, and it's it's a question I ask myself when I'm writing, which is a perceptual shift. What is the tough. what does the chair think about this? What do the what does the air think about this? But what to say the, it out loud, that's ballsy to get people to go with you and 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 to say actually say. And then I got to thinking that's a dangerous fucking limb to walk out on. Why is it? I do it all the time. Why? Because, why? I, because if you're going and then I got to thinking, you're saying to the audience, I want to shift right now, and I'm showing you that. Mm. I am telling you we are changing gears. If you tell someone we're changing gears, that gets their gears going. Whereas a lot of times what you want to do is you want to change gears without them knowing. And surprise them and get the laugh from the surprise. Exactly. Yeah. He is foregoing the surprise. Mm-hmm. He is saying yeah. either either I couldn't come up with a way to do that surprise or fuck it. I want to get to this thing that's so important to me. Fuck your surprise. Guys, we're going to think about the fish. You know? Right, right, right. Um, I know one of the things that Patton says is uh, um, at some point in a good bit, there should be a moment where you realize something. Something changes the way you thought about something before. I don't ascribe to that being a rule for what makes a good bit. That's for him. He's talking about for him. Oh, I was going to say, but if you can do that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't do a joke about something you know you're going to agree with, as I think. Because he gives Joe DeRosa the bit. Joe DeRosa says, like, I have this bit, but I think it's to Bill Hicksy about um, flavor of love and rock of love and how it's just parading these whores around. And then Pat Oswalt's like, yeah, but why would you want to say that? You should be saying it. And like, it should be a moment of discovery in the bit where it's like, I used to hate the show, but now I love it because now we know who not to impregnate. And it's just like Joe Dross, like you just made a thousand times better yeah. a bit and then in like two seconds. I think, yeah, that's that realization moment for him. That, that was the, he said that that was the turning point for him. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I can't remember which podcast it was, but he was talking about when he was in San Francisco and he was, he thought he was big shit. He'd been doing it for like four years and yeah. been doing some touring, whatever. And then he gets to San Francisco and all these people were light years beyond him. And it wasn't yeah. until he, he had this low, low, low moment. And finally he was like, he realized that what he has to do is change his mind in the middle of a bit to make things work for him yeah i mean i think there's a bunch of different ways to do it i like i like what bill burr does which is he says an indefensible thing and then he defends it um i i only i only have one joke like that but it's it's my favorite and it's the global warming joke it's my favorite one right now which i open with uh, i hope global warming is real I, I know it is. I know that the science is there, but I also hope it is, and I hope it comes to pass. And then I go and defend why I feel that way, and I, my hope is that they identify inside themselves the same thing I feel, which is that petty, we kind of like being right more than more than we want the planet to survive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I never say that, but I just show them yeah. that I feel that way, yeah. and maybe they do too kind yeah. of thing. I, mean, that's- I enjoy that a lot. Um I rewrote the part of the Morrison bit and added a thing to it recently that I haven't tried much yet where I'm doing that thing where I do this rant about behind the music. It's funny that you said Rock of Love. Just, just how fucking awful it is. Like yeah. What a pointless show. 
I'm going to defend it now. In the middle of the bit, I'm going to defend it because of the oh. DMX episode. Have you seen the DMX episode? It's fucking great. It's undeniably no. great television. I I don't. I mean, I've seen some. Oh, I forgot. You're like eight. Behind the music is my time. <laughs> so, so I, I, I want to keep no going idea. through the bits. VH1, so, so no. Yeah, yeah. A couple other notes here. So uh, the next thing he does. So then the other thing I love about this perceptual shift is now we're in cartoon land. Exactly. I already said what I said. Never mind. <laughs> I forgot that I told y'all. I forgot that I told y'all about the cartoon. Yeah. yeah now we're in cartoon land. Yeah, there's a fucking talking fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the dumb redneck guy who just gets by on these easy jokes and he does the same. There's a fucking talking fish in this joke. Yeah, it yeah. is incredible. Sorry, keep going. I feel like there's some defensive redneck going on right here. That yeah. fucking dumb redneck. <laughs> there's some of that, but more than that, it's like uppity comedy snobbery. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. I will talk about comedy in the snot most pretentious way possible but like there better be substance behind it don't just tell me Foxworthy's dumb if you haven't listened to his material and you can't cite why yeah if you're gonna say that you might be a redneck is a dumb line of jokes that's fine mm-hmm. you can defend that mm-hmm. but if you're gonna tell me that he's dumb Mm-mm. you can't defend it keep yeah. going also those are genius if they weren't so played out like if everyone did you're 100% know, right he made genius. millions of dollars off of them and everyone liked them at first and there's some really snobs. good like this of course well, but it's, and, like and it's like a good pop portraits song where you go, all right, we didn't need this, but you can't deny how fucking catchy and good it is. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pop joke. That's what that is. And if also, there's a pop joke, that's it. He's put yeah, he's putting these hilarious scenarios in your mind. You're like thinking about like these scenes where like people are like. Like have all a right. Deer. I don't want to defend them too hard. Now. Like, I mean, I'm with you, but Lord, I mean, at the end of the day, there's still you might be a redneck. Yeah. yeah. So um, then uh, the next thing. So, but by the way, the thing about Cartoon Land, I just love any time, and this is this is uh, straight out of the Brian Regan playbook, which is just if you can make that picture happen in the minds of the people, you are you are that is it. You are there. If, if they're not even seeing the show anymore and they're seeing the cartoon you've made for them in their heads, you you have them all the way. I had a dream about it. And the bit. more you flesh out, the more you introduce elements of that cartoon yes. and make it fit, the harder they laugh. I had a dream about this bit and that's where I came up with the idea to do a cartoon based on it. It's, this is such a rich picture that he's painting. Oh, it's so great. Then he does my neck. The next move is one of my favorites. I hear it all the time. I do it. I love it. It's when you take it's I call it repackaging a, a cliche, um, and you because anytime you can take oh, a cliche drawn toward the light and you take that cliche and <laughs> you make it fresh by giving it new meaning, uh-huh. people will laugh every fucking time. Sure, it is in utterly involuntary. They they're like, I know what that means. Oh, it means this other thing, <laughs> and yeah. I'm done. Drawn toward the light. Cause, and, and what are they seeing? The fucking fish hole. They're yeah. seeing the, the hole in the ice. Yeah. It's right in their mind. I love it. I love it. Um, and then, of course, he just keeps painting the picture, right? Dead relatives. All of a Hilarious. sudden. It's so good. So fucking mm-hmm. funny. Because now you've taken not a cliche, but a stereotype mm-hmm. from death. Mm-hmm. And you've applied it to a fish. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's so visceral because when you pull a fish out, there will be fish just lying around. And 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 I and be dead. I may maybe I'm giving him too much credit here, but there's another element to it too, which is that which is he's calling into question our view of the afterlife, which right. is that which is that yeah. you know we only see what if we're just getting hooked up there? Yeah, <laughs> and if there's this other yeah. other being that its consciousness is that much higher than us, it cares about us the same way a fisherman might care about a fish. Yeah, it might be eating our souls. Yeah, 
Like so, we, who knows, right? It's it, and and he's so he's calling. He's showing that we can only see what we see from our viewpoint, and we're we're locked into our perspective in a certain way. Tell me, this wouldn't be a great cartoon if I could do it the right way. Do you need permission from me? You don't fucking need permission. Make a goddamn cartoon. I know. Go but do I just it. Love the idea so then, much. Then do I've it been doing. It. I've been working on. It. I need All a right. cartoon. You probably can contact him now. You're probably at the level where you could. Oh just yeah. Uh, well, Fox here's the like, problem. Hey man, Trey did um, Ingval's podcast, uh-huh. but uh, in the book we is he your we favorite? Shit of those on guys? Ingval pretty hard. Who? Ingval? No. Yeah. Oh wait. Okay. I don't, I don't know any of his comedy. So actually. then he, it's definitely um, Ron. Ron. Yeah. Well, Ron, Ron White is. I was thinking the Ron Paul, and I'm like, it's not Ron Paul. Ron. It's Ron Paul. Ron Paul's my favorite of the blue collar comedy tour. Pretty good type five. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> on marijuana, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the next movie makes is so delightfully pandery. I fucking love it. It's uh, when God's a redneck. Exactly, uh, you motherfucker. You brought her back. Just, well, but he is in yeah, that scenario. Yeah, you know, I know. The dude would be wearing flannel and yep. have a Budweiser hat. Yep. But you're right. He's brought it right back to where we were mm-hmm. before we went on this journey. Mm-hmm. That every comic in Brooklyn, not every, but most comics in Brooklyn would tell you, you couldn't take Jeff Foxworthy's audience on. Like they would tell you, you can't take him down the path of the talking fish and the existential issues of death. And they'd be like, well, he did it. But then he brought him right back. And it's not your time. I like all all this. He just brings again repackaging that cliche. Like just like oh, it's so fun. It's great. It's great. Love it. Thank you for. It's playing. about death. Yeah, that was great. Jeff Fox really has a death bit. It's beautiful. <laughs> you might be a redneck if. If uh, if if you like fish and death and <laughs> right 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 <laughs> that would be so right to see him like right. break down yeah. and be therapeutic comedian. Well, one of the things we put in the book is a whole section. We have a we we talk about those guys a lot just because of redneck mm-hmm. and that part of the South and what what it means to be a redneck. That's the first chapter, and we have a section in there. We all wrote the jokes, but I came up with the idea, which is something I came up with just stoned out of my mind on the phone with Trey one day, which is like dark Foxworthy, which is I w- I've always wanted, and I don't want it anymore because it's kind of shitty to want someone's life to fall apart, <laughs> but I've always wanted like Jeff Foxworthy to hit rock bottom and then to just go out on stage as this like, he's lost his money, he knows he gets made fun of by people, his wife took his kids, and he's dark as shit. <laughs> But he's still Jeff. Yeah. And in the book, it's, it's you might be a redneck jokes, but they're really dark. Like It's like if you've ever fucked a 17-year-old in the middle of the NASCAR field while your buddy promised you she's at least 18, you find out later it's your cousin, but you wanted to do it for Percocets. I'm not doing it justice. That's not the joke. But it's like shit like <laughs> that. That was pretty funny. You I might like be a that redneck. already. <laughs> like if, you've ever traded, uh, if you've ever traded your wit card to a man named Lalo for weed... <laughs> Uh, at your grandma's house or whatever, you might be a redneck. It's, it's like that's the dumb thing we're doing. Yeah. But I sincerely think that Jeff Foxworthy, angry or sad, would be awesome. Yeah. Well, those are hilarious jokes. Actually, I like those. So you uh, should sell those to him. Uh, They're yeah, in our you book. Need a so new we can't. Persona, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you I can have these pages. Yeah. Yeah. Page he, he actually might be able to sue us. No, he couldn't. I looked it up. It's if you guys think a sketch show, it's then parody. He, he'd come on for that. <laughs> That'd be fucking awesome. It'd Dude. be like the Wayne Brady thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. on Chappelle's show? Yeah, if oh, like Jeff Foxworthy was just mad, he would never do it, though, because yeah. he just makes too much money as but a family-friendly guy. But you can get to play him, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, next, I want to play... <laughs> 
Uh, Dark Foxworthy. I just realized that uh, Harrison looks a lot like Foxworthy. Anyway, keep yeah, going. he does actually. Yeah. He does. Dude, if you ever want to make that sketch, if you've ever we'll traded your WIC around. card for a bunch of marijuana while you were sucking your drug dealer's dick. But wait, it has to be dark. So what does he sound like then? Oh, I don't know. I think he's just, no. Never... Still funny if he sounds. It's funnier if he's like still goofy though. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he's just like, and then he like turns the camera. <laughs> so next I want to play uh, I, want, I want to play a bit from And this is not an opener It's just a bit that I love uh, A little known bit from uh, David Cross But this actually I got this on another airline I was reading this This is great um, This is in the in-flight magazine is the Which is uh, just the best journalism They really dig deep Is he breaking down an advertisement? Man if you want to exactly. find out 101 things to do with plums <laughs> Just read your in-flight magazine Alright so this is in a, another Airlines magazine, um, and this is called Miles for Kids. This is a letter from the president. And what he's doing is he's urging everybody to give up their frequent flyer miles for sick kids. And I, I won't read the whole thing, obviously, but basically says, this program uses frequent flyer miles accumulated in a special fund to provide free travel for sick and terminally ill kids who need to get to a particular destination to obtain medical care or to realize a special travel dream that would otherwise go unfulfilled. And that was the thing that made me go, huh? Would otherwise go unfulfilled. Because when I was reading this, there were two empty seats next to me. So why can't sick kids sit there, you know? I mean, if they're so concerned with sick kids, you know, I mean... I mean, I don't mean to sound greedy or crass, but why is it incumbent upon me to give up my miles when this, there's empty... We've all flown where there are empty seats, you know? Shouldn't there, shouldn't there be, like, a pen of sick kids? <laughs> you know, next to the gate? <laughs> you know, so, like... Okay, kids, okay. Two seats have opened up. Two people were good enough to give up some of their miles so some of you could get some help. So we have two seats available. So let's see. Let's, um, who's the young boy who's dying next week? Let's get him up here. Wheel him up here. Okay, yeah. Hmm? Yes, next week. Okay. Yes. Well, they should have told you. Okay. <laughs> And we have one more seat available. Who do we have here? Let's see. How about you, Funny Walk? Let's get Funny Walk up here. Okay. Off you go. Okay. I'm sorry, kids. That's all we have room for. No, no, there are other empty seats, but you'd have to pay for them because I, I know. I know I'm sorry. No, but I, we, we, I, that's airline policy. I'm, no, I know, I know. I'm Just sorry. Just chill. I'm so, well, uh, would anybody care for some porn? <laughs> That's a callback to the Brian, let's get them the world's filthiest ball-draining cum mac. I think you kids will like that. Why do they sell out porn? Uh, porn yeah. um, All right. That's, That's, uh, what album is that? The Pride is Back. Very little known album. That's such a good joke because... That's a good title. Too. Obviously, it's pointing out something that we all should have realized, but very few people probably have. The other thing is, is he's tearing down the goodwill that's fake, like this corporate goodwill that doesn't exist, that's not at all real. They work very hard, corporations do, to hide that 
And he just fucking eviscerated that. That like, no, you're not. You're not. This isn't a good program. This yeah, is yeah. a shitty, shitty, shitty thing you're doing. Like giving away miles, that's fine. But you're doing that instead of just giving sick kids flights. You fucking monsters. Yeah. But instead of saying that, you know, he does that great act out where you yeah. see it. And when I was a lawyer, one of the first rules for a jury trial they always said was, you don't tell them the truth or what you want the truth to be. Like you know, not. Get- You want you you do all these facts in a row, and then the last part you don't say it. They want to be the. They love going. All humans love going. Yeah, I see it. And he does that in that bit. Instead of saying they're fucking monsters because this is bullshit, he's just showing how they're monsters. And we're going, oh god, it's bullshit. It's perfect. Right. And and like on a on a technical note, I love I love. David Cross because I love David Cross because he does such a long run up on a lot of his jokes. And um and that is just like do not do that. Comedians will tell you all day long you got to pepper it in with like lots of punchlines. It to, helps when you're semi-famous. I know. I trust me. I, I get that. I get that. Um but uh but this was back in 98. I think. Yeah, Mr. Show. Oh, yeah, Bob yeah, and yeah. David. That yeah, was, yeah, that was yeah, cultish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another thing. He'll pop in on shows where no one knows who he is, I assume. But, like, his fans will come out, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, fair enough. But I, I do like that he will take the time to set up the pins just right, right. so he can hit a strike. And, he kind of has to, doesn't he? Yeah. I love that. With the way yeah. he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you, if he misses on any of those swings, mm-hmm. he's failing. So he's really got to set him up. Well, this is, goes back to what we were talking about before. Like he didn't, he didn't get much laughter at all until he starts going into the act out. And right. then it's, I mean, but he's, he gets in, that but he's right? interesting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that's like going back. to But what he we could were also have just as well gotten like big laughs on what he's like setting up. You know, like that, like in the tension yeah. building. He he could have been getting sure. big laughs. You're right. And I don't know. I saw him at Night Train here in. Brooklyn, and uh, he was hosting uh, why it was Wyatt's out of town or whatever. And uh, he, his opening, he just read, he just talked about this magazine ad and read the copy of the ad. And I think it was about watches or some kind of jewelry. And he broke down everything that was wrong with the ad in like a goofy way. Like he's like, this this dude's daughter's sitting on his lap. And he, and he just like goes into this awful, disgusting, incest-filled rant. <laughs> And that was ridiculous. But his overall point of they're selling a pointless fucking thing to pointless people who have pointless lives that's driven by greed and collecting things, he never said that. But that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. God, it was it was so good. It was so good. He's so good at that stuff that you, you almost forgive him for shitting on his family all the goddamn time and just being so ashamed of being from the South. He's just on his family all the goddamn time? I don't know. He makes fun of his sisters and stuff. Uh, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, it's always like, she was like, hey, David. And I'm like, dude, Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeah, that kind of. I mean, I I have to say, like, like, um, I I have to say it. You can can say it, Jeff, but you don't have to. I have to. I actually signed a contract before we started this. (laughs) I have to say. Uh, uh, It's literally all it says. Um, (laughs) So uh, coming from Montana and really not fitting with that culture at all and feeling so... Uh, rejected by it uh, for who I am, for what I think, for every every little piece of me. Um, uh, I 
I can understand. I really relate to him because of that. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, no, I, I, I hear you. I think my thing is he takes a level of superiority that I think is how he really feels. Mm. And that's at the very least interesting to me. And I don't, I, I, I don't know him, but I assume he wouldn't even deny. I'd be like, yeah, I am fucking better than these racist backwoods inbred people. And I'd be like, well, you know, maybe in some ways you are, but in terms of treating people well, you seem real shitty. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a he's got a very good bit where he hits his mom in the face. Oh yeah, that's so funny. What? And that's one of so the ones funny. where he makes one of his sisters pretty hard. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how mean to him they've been. Maybe they have been mean to him. Uh. I mean, I, I I get what you're saying too. I like. I don't know. I mean, stepping on, stepping hard on your on your fa- on your loved ones to get laughs is not something I do um, because Why? I want a good life, and they matter to me, and I wouldn't want it done to me. Um, but but uh, that they matter to me. I question if that's true for him, and that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but it's not. Who gives a fuck? Like he's funny, so whatever. Right? Isn't that weird? How much we'll forgive anything? Like yep. I have friends yep. who make way too many racist jokes. For me to not think that there's a little bit of that in them, but they're funny, so it's well, whatever. I one of my one of my best friends. He's an improv guy. He's he's an incredibly funny people. I grew up. He's, he's a he's a very funny people. Uh, anyway, I grew up yeah. with him in Montana. He he said to me one time, he's just like, you know, I think I'll let anything slide if 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 in somebody if they're funny enough. And right. I, I, there's a, there's some truth in that. And if someone's trying to do comedy and they're not funny, <sighs> it's so hard to like them. All right. Well, uh, that has been our show. Uh, that's um, anything. Any last things to say before we wrap up? Sure. Uh, well, I plugged the book, which is check out the Liberal Redneck Manifesto: Dragon Dixie Out of the Dark um, on Amazon, iBooks, all the shit like that. You You'll see the website. link in the show notes. Well, if you don't mind, then link to wellreadcomedy.com. Uh, that's wellread R E D, like well redneck. Uh, which is the name of our tour. You can see our tour. We're going all over the U.S., and uh, you can get the book. You can check out all kinds of stuff there. Yeah, and well, if you're interested in politics, if you're interested in rural rural America or the South or anything, any aspect of it and politics, I think you'll like it. And if you're interested in this election and how it happened, there's a little bit of that in the book, too. We wrote it before it, but we put a lot in there about liberals just ignoring those people and working class Americans and how it's going to bite them in the ass and they keep looking down on them and how they're going to rue the day. It came a lot quicker than we expected though. Um, (laughs) And the last thing I wanted to say, if you guys don't mind uh, me waxing philosophical here, this podcast was very interesting. As recently as three years ago, no one would be interested in this other than comics. I think that, you guys are going to find a way bigger audience for it. I think people are getting more interested in stand-up, more interested in mechanics, more interested in backstories. I think podcasts have a lot to do with that. I think the internet in general and people writing about it have a lot to do with it. I and I, This is not at all, not at all a personal attack. You guys are riding a wave that is going to wash over our community, whether you write it or not. But I am. I guess I want to know if you're nervous, if stuff like this, is it going to change comedy? And if so, what does that look like? Like, think about like how jazz music went from being poor people's escape in Harlem and New Orleans and Chicago to it's on elevators now and it's in academia. And I'm not saying that's going to fucking happen to comedy. Let's hope not. As long as, man, 
but, but <laughs> like the elevator <laughs> but like that would be a great smooth stylings <laughs> of Harris and Tweed yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like this is an academic podcast comedy is starting to the academic view of comedy is starting to grow the anal, the analysis the critiques of it that's interesting I'm curious like 20 years from now are all comedy fans or most comedy fans going to know what a switcheroo is a misdirection yeah. are all comedy fans going to be talking about like man that one act out was good but then the way he tagged it that's the best tag because you, you'll hear like man that solo blah 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 uh, when we're talking about music, you'll be like, well, he's got that solo, but then the bridge comes and they change keys. There was a time when regular music fan wouldn't know what any of those words meant, I would imagine. I think yeah. with any, off the top of my head here, with any creative endeavor or striving toward excellence in any given craft or art, there is uh, a point at which you become you start to become aware of the technicals. And I don't think that it diminishes the enjoyment of basketball if people know what's happening when. For some people, it increases it Exactly. For sure. I actually think it, it tends to enhance it. And the people who aren't interested in that stuff, they just don't fucking pay attention that's to it. That's such a great response because positive me is like, well, that's, you're right, Jeff. And that's so true <laughs> and it's going to be great. And then like cynical me is like, this podcast is ruining comedy, but... Articles about shit like this is ruining comedy. Let's. Why are we letting them see behind the curtain? The curtain's all we got. Why are you guys exposing it? Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. the man behind the curtain. So the Wizard of Oz is real. God damn it, he's that. real. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, the the curtain has been down for a long time because the curtain used to be. Uh, he's just coming up with this off the top of <laughs> sure, his head. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's and a new curtain. I remember yeah. when. I thought that about George Carlin when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. And then I I saw, I, I heard it on a different album, the same sort of stuff on a different recording. And I was like, yeah, but he said that before. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what a fucking cheater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not understanding. It. And, and so that was, that was what you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And now there's right. all this, you know, we're, the more we do it, the more um, analytical we become. But here's, here's, here's what I would say about this too, is that, just like with um, with science, uh, every every layer, every new bit of knowledge that a PhD person throws on top of the pile is informed by everything that came before it. And if you don't know what came before you, you can't do something new, um, or the likelihood of you doing something new is really really small yeah. because you'll, you're probably repeating something that's already really been done and done and done. Um, and so. To be ignorant of this, you still can get lots of laughs, but to be ignorant, it'd be hard to be on the forefront, to be on the vanguard of, here's this new way of doing this, of trying, and and I'm always amazed at what, you know, somebody can do. Like, look at fucking Hannibal Burris's uh, uh, pacing. It's it's a bit, it's 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 his own thing. Yeah, Um, it's really bizarre. Like, it's I haven't heard. I mean, maybe you, you're good at connecting these, but um, well, I was talking Harrison, to Caitlin about the this. adults are fucking. <laughs> no, that's a good callback. But me and Caitlin were just talking about this last night. A callback, pl- guys, uh, is defined as when you talk. <laughs> See, I don't. Yeah, I I agree. I don't. I agree with you in the sense that, like, I don't. I don't like the breakdown if the breakdown isn't um, in awe. Do you know what I mean? Like I sure. when, when someone's oh, like, oh yeah, do you know? But 
we were talking about this the other day and it's like there's certain bits I don't want notes on from other comics because I'm like there's just something I will like in this bit this lets me do something that's specific to me that I don't need notes on magic I did sincerely but there is no there is just like an X factor about every comic even if they don't discover it or not that's like allows them to but, do certain things and it's like I don't need you, this note because like I know it will work and I don't know why it works but it's just it's something intangible. It's not I've tangible. Still, I've the, what, the most played out joke structure probably is like knock-knock jokes, right? But I still, every once in a while, encounter some comedian who employs a knock-knock joke <laughs> to great effect, and it's a new spin on it. My, uh, my friend Russell, who he's, he's like done stand-up comedy a little bit. He's a lawyer. I met him through the public defense training programs. He tells these really dark, absurd knock-knock jokes. They kill me and i can't do it because part of it is he has this slow drip draw mississippi old old accent <laughs> <laughs> oh, i like that knock knock who's there the doctor the doctor who, the doctor's here your whole family's dead <laughs> it just keeps going you know but anyway i want to say both of you just surprised me in your responses to that mm-hmm. and it made me feel better so <laughs> i'm gonna count that as a huge win awesome i well Thanks, i was because i'm really, terrified of it being ruined somehow but i guess i'm just a pussy because it can't be ruined no but hold can't. on was jazz music ruined though what happened there well that was I people don't know. still I don't appreciate know jazz great only uppity pretentious dude dudes nah, but no some people still like it that aren't that that's that's I, you're, you're that's that's the same as like all rednecks and whatever well, like, I, the, what, what i'm saying is that uh, that jazz was superseded by other art forms oh this wasn't I mean, good enough you heard it here first guys jeff states unequivocally <laughs> jazz yeah. Was beaten by other art forms. Well, well, it's like opera, dude. Opera got superseded by other art forms too. Like, yeah. art but it did move. Of, but opera is a great example. Movie, Theater's the a wonderful example. <laughs> Theater moved from the working classes escape to high art uh-huh. and quote unquote not for them. That's a stereotype, but it's still a stereotype that we have to deal with. Just like with jazz, I'm, I guess I'm wondering if that will happen with comedy, or if comedy will be more like music. Whereas parts of it will move on to the upper or whatever, but the new parts will replace it for the working class. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so you're trying to. I'm just fascinated that Karl Marx somehow entered uh, the discussion of comedy here. <laughs> well, I think it's comedy is cool because I'm talking about every man type entertainment or art or whatever leaving that arena and becoming the world of academia. Well, I like. I don't want shift. that to happen with comedy. I guess. Sincerely doubt that dick jokes will, you know, like. Well, I, I, I like the paradigm shift that people dick know. Joke. I actually, I actually, I, I'm sorry, but I, I wrote seven different tomes on dick jokes. Uh, I'm the world's foremost expert on dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, you are expert on dick. I like the paradigm uh, shift because now, since people, the curtains a little peeled back. I, I mean, you know, because there, I, I, one of the things I like doing the most adults show. Sorry. <laughs> At shows is this thing where it's like the setup is I see this happen. You, it, once you see a lot of comedy shows, you realize the same jokes exist. And one of them is the comic that gets on stage and states hip hop lyrics and then describes why the rapper is wrong. Sure. That's the setup, which is just a setup using comedy premise. And then the joke is I'd like to see the inverse of that. I'd like to see a comedian. What, what, what te- about that joke, though? Because I'm, it's it's literally like 
I mean, now we're at a point where you can write a joke about old joke structures and they will oh. hit with the audience. And the joke is, I'd like to see an inference of that, where it's a comedian doing a setup to a joke and then it stops and then it's a hip hop artist giving them notes. And then it's Wait, like, what? This is a joke you do? Yeah, it, it's been killing. It's been great. <laughs> so you walked us through all that just to tell us that you had a good joke? <laughs> No, that, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you get away oh with this bullshit. Oh that is exactly what we're talking about. I just used as reference point for an audience that doesn't Something do that I do. <laughs> no, I just use it as a reference point uh, in a joke. You're which saying joke structure because you can of tell what the we're audience talking about. about older jokes. Right. Sure. And you can still do it. Like, I've seen com- comedians do this all the time where they, like, ironically say, take my wife or whatever. And they do, like, a weird, like, let's kinda... go meta. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I see it happening. See, all the time. I, I see that. And sometimes it's funny. Mm-hmm. But I, then I go back to my question, which you had made me feel better about. And now Harrison scared me again. Uh, <laughs> which Wait, is, is that, that scary? Which is that that's cool going to, like, be a problem. Like, I've seen meta comedy and enjoyed it. I've also seen it and been like, dude, there are people here who've never seen stand up before, and you just told them that this is what it is. And goddamn, that makes it hard on the rest. I don't know, man. I'm, well, just, I think I'm just a I, worrier. Look, how, how, about, how, about, how about this? I think there's another element to this that's not present in other art forms as readily, and it's that the power of an individual personality to capture interest and make you laugh. And you know what? I think you you made me feel better again because that is probably what's different about music. Whereas some types of music have moved from like, you know, the everyman, whatever, to only being for academia. And like theater's done that and other things have done that. Opera's done that. But like with pop music, each generation gets their own personalities who get to show them, you know, Michael Jackson, Lady Gaga, Beyonce. Beyonce and and stand up comedy Jim is a lot, not everybody, but not all the time, but stand up comedy is about relevance. A lot of it is about relevance, and relevance changes too. Sure. So I, I, I don't, I, I see what you're saying. In other words, it, but you're not worried about it. I mean, in the back of my mind, sure. Like I think to myself, I go, oh, Will I get to the point in this podcast where I've said my theories on on what makes joke work enough to where it's just repetitive? But at the same time, it's always about different material, different ways of attacking something. Um, uh, and then when I talk to you about your bit and why you like it, what makes it yours, that is fucking interesting. And I don't think that's going to go away. I don't disagree with that being interesting. I'm just like curious as to... Where do we go from here? But the truth is, we can go anywhere we want. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? It's it's an incredibly open and challenging art form in that way. I mean, people would even get mad at me calling it a fucking art form. Like, I I think it is. Anything that you produce from your consciousness as a human being and you put out there, that's art. Fine. And it's not all good art. It's not all bad. It's not, but but it's art. Hmm. Artifice. It's, it's the very definition of the word. Like, it's from humans. Oh, now he's got definition. Well, I'm just saying, like, look, <laughs> God damn it. I, no, I'm kidding. I totally it's, agree so it's, with I'm really passionate about this. I, I care. I think, I, I see what you're saying. In other words, if we pick it apart too much. Um, and we, are and we the, sucking the magic yeah, out? Yeah. Are we over-intellectualizing and all of a sudden? But to me, I, 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 the, there's the, the, the details and pulling it apart doesn't ruin the magic of it. I love True. knowing about how things work. Yeah, you're right. 
I mean, someone can stop liking a joke because they just heard it a bunch of times and didn't dissect it at all. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. you, you can just like overhear. Yeah. Something. Well, your subconscious has now dissected it. Like you didn't yeah. dissect it intellectually, but you just well, I'm not gonna yeah. be surprised. And that was a big part of this joke or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, how about this? Um, I give you carte blanche to say I told you so, just like you got to say with the Trump thing. When you come back to me, and I've destroyed stand-up comedy. The Megamind thing is gonna be real. I, I no, that's not going to happen while we're alive. And honestly, the bigger danger there is that you know viral videos replace it. Here's, uh, but that won't that'll be that that won't be great. But that'll be viral okay. video stars that'll are going to be, be okay. the ones at the clubs rather. Here's than, where I think the danger is. This is what I like fucking sing, hate, Lily and it's sing. when people who don't know funny, they don't know comedy, write about comedy, and the first thing they say is the fucking punchline. Like where they they, they like, that ruins it. When you destroy the element of surprise, when you you give away everything about it, then you go here now. Watch the thing I just destroyed for you. Like that to me is the danger when people who don't know how to present it talk about sure. it. Then then you ruin the magic. Right, right. No, I mean I'm, that was a part of what I was uh, you know getting at. It's not just comics now sitting around writing and talking about it. It's it's critics and uh, you know are they going to get it right? Hopefully they will. You know what I mean? Like film critics, I think do a pretty decent job. They've yeah. they've figured out how to talk about that genre right. without ruining it or whatever. Right. But nobody's. Yeah, I, I see that a lot. Where I'll be like. Like check out this set on Conan, and then I'll be like, "Don't don't read the article, don't read the article, because they're going to give every good line away." Well, there's that from great it. book by Cliff Nost- Nosterman. Nosterman. It's called The Comedians, and it's like a history of stand up comedy, mm-hmm. and it's great. And uh, and he he's done stand up as as far as I know, so that's probably why he's better at it. But you know, he might be the first great comedy writer, like not comedy, you know what I mean, comedy critic, whatever, like comedy as an industry writer, and uh, we need more of those. Well, I think going back to your thing about film, when I watch films Harrison, now, I'm more the in- fucking adults. <laughs> Wait, I'm about are to- fucking having a podcast. <laughs> I don't like this when joke you that hit much. puberty. I don't like this joke anymore. When, I love that you don't. Like I have it. a mustache when, now. I got when your hair is not a projection of adulthood that you've grown just to prove to people that you can have a conversation at a table of men. I don't know, this hurts my feelings. Oh, I love that it hurts your feelings. When it stops hurting your feelings, that's when you'll be welcome to this table. (laughs) That's how old you have to be. Not getting my feelings hurt years (laughs) old. It's ridiculous. I'm so sorry. No, I'm kind of sorry. No, Uh, no, no. no, I actually, uh, that's great. Can we end it there? I'll speak at both your feelings. And not let him do his point. Sure. I mean, you said it. Now I feel kind of guilty. I don't even. Oh, I was just cut him off. Cut his mic. Special ah, thanks. Special thanks to Salt and Pepper for not suing us or not yet suing us for using their song. Uh, and special thanks also to Jeff Foxworthy and David Cross for all of our fair use. And uh, and a big huge thanks f- to Drew Morgan. You didn't thank Maria Bamford, you sexist. And thank you so much oh, you for having me. Thank yeah, you for of having course, me. Uh, all right. All right. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.